in the last couple of weeks, we have spent time in the book of Nahum. And we're going to do that again tonight. Uh, the book of Nahum, a challenging little book for some people to find. Old Testament, minor prophets. So if you find Isaiah or Jeremiah, you're not quite there yet. You keep backing toward the middle of your book. You've got Ezekiel and then Daniel, and you're starting to get into smaller books. Hosea is a little bit bigger. Amos, there's another one. You're getting closer. Micah, and what follows? Nahum, there he is. Now, there's only three chapters there, and you might have small print, and it might only be on a couple of pages. But book of Nahum, chapter number one. We've been looking at the character of God in the midst of wicked people. And it's easy to give emphasis on wicked people. But our emphasis for this month has been on the character of God. That's who gets the praise. That's who we thank. And so we've looked at some wonderful things about our God in this book. And really, you sit down and read through this book, and you're not going to finish a book as a real happy person if you look at the judgment side of it. great deal of judgment in this book. We did that this past Sunday morning. We spent a lot of time in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and they're very heavy chapters, um, very thick with the judgments of God. But here in between many of these uh, really pronounced sections are little pieces that are very worth our time. They're giving to us the character of our God. And the great thing about what we have seen is that his character does not change. The situation changes, circumstances. The, even the, the audience and where they were as a nation 80, 90 years before, when Jonah went to Syria and preached uh, that they were going to be destroyed, and they all repented, even, even down to putting sackcloth on the animals. You farmers would have loved it. Go out there and put sackcloth on every cow. Could you imagine that? Uh, but they, they repented, and God responded to them and spared them. Now this is almost 100 years later. And here's the judgment against the same people. And it's a heavy judgment. Now, God had not changed from who he was back in Jonah's day to where he is right here in the book of Nahum. God did not change. His character is always the same. And that's why I like this focus, because it's remarkable, especially to compare his character next to wicked people. And it shines even brighter. We have seen already in chapter 1, verse 3, that he is a very patient God. He is slow to anger, the phrase says. The Lord is slow to anger, and he's great in power. Those do not contradict each other. God is always slow to anger. God is always great in power. And the power is displayed in, in his wrath throughout this book. We saw in verse number 7 that God is good. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows, and I love that phrase, he knows those who take refuge in, in him. That's an excellent thing too. We've seen that. Now tonight we're going to go down to verse number 13 and 14 and 15. But actually I'm going to start the middle of verse 12. Where God says, Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no longer. 
So now I will break his yoke bar from upon you, and I will tear off your shackles. The Lord has issued a command concerning you. Your name will no longer be perpetuated. I will cut off idol and image from the house of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feast, O Judah. Pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. Now, you got a handful of all kinds of things in those verses. So let's talk to the Lord before we look at the way he rescues. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We are thankful, so thankful for who you are, what you have done for us. We have been blessed over and over and over again. And then on top of that, you have blessed us too. We can spend this evening and the course of the next day just reflecting on your goodness toward us your patience, your power, just your person is sufficient. But what you have done, and even sending your Son for us, while we were yet sinners, while we were helpless, while we had no hope, you sent your Son. And he gave his life for us, that we might be reconciled to you, that we might be able tonight to call you our Father, What a blessing that is. And on top of that, you have given to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. We can just go on all night with causes to praise you. Thank you for your word. As we spend a little time in it tonight, reflecting upon your character, I pray, Lord, that you just show us once again how great you are, even in the way that you rescue us. And we give you the glory for this, too, in Jesus' name. Amen. God rescues. Now, you didn't see those actual words as we were looking at verse number uh, 12, the second half, 13, 14, and 15. But you did get pieces that would make you stop and say, oh, that's what he's doing. The very fact that he will afflict them no longer, he will break a yoke off of their Uh, that was upon them. He will tear off shackles. It mentions that as well. And down to verse 15. uh, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good news. Now that's a very refreshing breeze in the midst of a very parching heat of wrath. He brings good news. He announces peace. Those are beautiful words here. I want, to, I want to walk you through this a little bit, and I'm going to take you to two other places in Scripture. And I think that when you've done, when you put it all together, you're going to see the most beautiful sight that Scripture shows us often. Start with this, the recipients of this letter. It was addressed to the tribe of Judah. By then they were the nation, a southern kingdom, uh, a tribe with great pride, by the way, they were the birthplace of the great kings, Judah. What an incredible tribe to have been part of. The glory of David, Solomon, and the Judean kings that followed there. David and all his great victories, we read of them, and we were impressed with things like Goliath and other instances where David's victory was so evident. And then Solomon, 
and its great wisdom and its incredible wealth and the building of the temple and all those magnificent years. Together, those two reign for 80 years. Here we have to work on something about every four years. Could you imagine 80 years of those two leading the nation and God's blessing resting upon them in some ways? And of course, they get in trouble too, don't they? But there were the years of the temple and the priests and the festivals and the feast and all those glorious things. Now, here, by the time we get to the book of Nahum, here's that same group of people, though it's their children and grandchildren, great-grandkids all along the way, but they're surrounded by a fierce enemy, the Assyrians. The Assyrians were known for their, for their fierceness, for the ruthless way they went about conquering people. Uh, they had conquered Judah's sister, northern kingdom called Israel. They had conquered them to the north some 60 years, perhaps, before Nahum wrote this book. Assyria actually at that time entered into the land of Judah. And their army was so great, they came right up to the walls of Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. It was described like they came up to their neck. They had Assyrians all around them. And some of the stories related to that was incredible too. But I can't imagine looking out of the city of Jerusalem and seeing the army surrounding the whole place. Judah knew the Assyrians well. And if it wasn't for the Lord's intervention, Judah would have fallen that day too. Now, you can feel sorry for Judah for just a minute. Why were they there in trouble? What led to that point? Well, the truth is real simple, isn't it? You could read it on almost every page of the Old Testament. It's a sad story. The fact is, they deserved it. They had turned to idols. Why would you do that after seeing the power of God? The patience of God, the, the, the mercy and the, and the greatness of God. Why would you turn to an idol? But they did. And of course, if we were there, it would have been a different story, right? Maybe not. They went headlong into bloodshed. They cheated one another. They broke rules. They, they disobeyed God's uh, law. Iniquity was their regular employment. They became slaves to it. And literally, captives of the consequences. God had told them, this would happen if you disobey me. These are the things that would come upon you. And yet, in the midst of all those stories and what led to this day in the days of Nahum, you still see a merciful God, a patient God, a powerful God, but one who is good. He's been good, and he still has good there. And he plans to rescue them. He sends this letter. He sends this letter to tell them how he plans to rescue and restore them to himself. Now, I'm going to start tonight, though we've seen this little piece of Nahum before you. We'll come right back to it, so don't lose your place. But I want to give you a, a, a theological illustration in the New Testament. And uh, basically, it's one you should well know very, very well if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Turn with me to Colossians for a minute. Chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Chapter number 1, you'll find it in verse 12, 13, and 14. Starts with giving thanks to the Father. Perfect theme for us tonight. Giving thanks to the Father for what? Who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You couldn't have qualified on your own. He did it. For he rescued us. That's the way the New American Standard reads, and I love those words. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, let's walk through this just for a moment in verse 13. I love the words, and I love the action that it's referring to here. The domain of darkness. Now, I'm going to have you picture in your mind a circle. All right? And you're in the middle of that circle. You're standing there inside the circle. Let the circle represent a prison for a minute. All right, you just got an image in your head, didn't you? Dark walls around you, perhaps a little musty, maybe a little damp down there, maybe cool in that prison. You, you don't get windows. Maybe there might be a little slit here or there where light creeps in a bit. Maybe you've got some regular friends who come by and visit you every day, and you started to name them. Little rat here and... No, let's not go there. Okay. But here you are in prison. Not a pleasant place, right? This is a picture I start with here. It says that we were in the domain of darkness. It's like a kingdom. But what that is, it's a prison. You're captured. You're conquered. You're not getting out. You're there. There's... There's a, a great deal of heavy reflection that comes with that. Not just for the fact that that's where we were, theologically. We definitely were in the domain of darkness. But we had cooperated with it. We had been part of that. That's not something like we were just the victim and suddenly, well, how did we get in here? But we had participated in that. Ephesians tells us so. We walked in the course of this world, didn't we? And we were by nature children of wrath. We were in the domain of darkness. And what's sad about that, as an unbeliever, is that we loved it. Scripture says we love the darkness and did not like the light. You say, well, that's terrible, Pastor. But that's reality. In the domain of darkness, you're not going to find your way out of there. Matter of fact, you weren't even going to have the ambition to get out of there. Somebody had to rescue you. And the words are fascinating because the way it says this is that God, in His mercy, I know, and in His great patience, and in His goodness, and in His power, delivered you. I could almost picture it, can't you? He reaches down and grabs you, pulls you out. Now, the, the word for that in, is in the verb tense. It's an aorist verb. So all my Greek scholars know that, right? An aorist verb, a completed act. It says, if you could say, he did it and it was done. But, but he didn't just gradually work you out of that. Say, 
uh, I'll release you for one day this week, and next week I'll build up to two. He, he didn't slowly drag us out of such a place. He, he did it in one complete act. One complete act. No lingering. No rescue by stages. No... Nothing but a sudden and a complete act of grasping us and taking us out. Remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian prison? And during the night, there was a great earthquake. What happened to the doors? They blew open, right? The jailer figured everyone was going to use them. He was very sure of that. He was about to take his life. But here God, in a sudden act, the jail was broken open. The earth had rocked and the inmates were set free. If they wanted out, they could have gotten out. I have a similar picture in my mind of how he rescued us from the domain of darkness. He broke the chains. There's a song we sing every now and then uh, about how his light diffused the ray and it broke my chains. I got up, I was free. You know the song? And can it be? Beautiful song about how the Lord rescues us. Well, that's more than just a rescue you've just read on that page. He not only rescued you, but what else did he do in verse number 13? Do you see it? Transferred us to another prison. No. To the kingdom of his beloved son. He transferred us. What a change of address. What a complete reversal of where we were. We went from one place to another. Yes. He did that too. He moved us. He didn't just pull us out of this circle. He had this circle. And he says, I'm putting you here. The kingdom of my beloved son. He transferred us. In that one act, he changed our prison garb to the robes of a son of the king. One single complete act. New residence, new address, new home. What does Scripture say? To be in Christ, you are a new creature. What an incredible thing he did in that change. Tonight, each one of us who know the Lord, you've been there. You've been rescued. You've been transferred. From a domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, that means you ought to understand tonight and appreciate the beauty of the Lord's rescue. That's the way he does it. It's appropriate that we just think about that and what we know when we go back to Nahum's story. When we go back to what God was doing in Nahum's short little book here, let's, let's go take a peek again at the very words that we've been looking at in Nahum chapter 1. Starting with verse 12, a little fuller now. Let's look at these great words. It says, Thus says the Lord, verse 12, Though they, that's Assyria, there's a lot of pronouns here, alright? Though they, Assyria, are at full strength, 
and likewise are many. Even so they, that's Assyria, will be cut off and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no longer. So now I will break his, that's Assyria's, yoke bar from upon you, Judah. I will tear off your shackles. The Lord has issued a command concerning you, Assyria. Your name will no longer be perpetuated. I will cut off idol and image from the house of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who announced peace. Celebrate your feast, O Judah. Pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one, Assyria, pass through you. He is cut off completely. Does it help to see the names next to the phrases? Can you see God at work? On the one hand, it's great power. On the other hand, He rescues. He's rescuing Judah in these very words. And how thoroughly He does it. The domain of darkness does look overwhelming. The domain of darkness looks hopeless to the captives. And in this case, the enemies, the Assyrians, looked invincible. As far as Judah was concerned, there was nothing they could do about it. Nothing they could do to stop the Assyrian army. But the Lord rescues. The Lord rescues. That's what Nahum is writing to these folks. Does that not sound for beautiful good news? When you think that there's no hope, there's no chance, no way. These folks are they're too great. There's too many. We're, we, there's nothing we could do. And then to read good news. God says, I won't afflict you anymore. I will cut off their chains from you. I will set you free from them. That's what Nahum is referring to here. You know, that should call for a response, should it not? Are we just going to leave such a phrase and walk away from it? I want to show you a third passage that I think would be very appropriate if these folks would pull it up and think it through. It comes from Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is not new information to them. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 18 was written by David himself many years before. Psalm 18 was a story of God's ability to rescue. You know, if they had only paid attention to the psalm, they would not have feared. They would not have been concerned about how great that enemy was, for the Lord is greater. And this psalm is so beautiful. You're going to recognize much of it as we go through it. But this is what David said in verse number 1. Psalm 18, verse number 1, it's... I've, I've got a large paragraph before it even starts. Background information, and it says this, For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And David said, I love you, O Lord. 
my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Isn't that what Nahum's been telling them? We've seen it for two weeks now. The same words practically. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, he says, who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. Now he wants to tell you a story. You're going to love this story. He says, the cords of death encompassed me. Start to picture it as he explains. The torrents of the ungodly of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol, the grave, surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, and you would be in distress too, I called upon the Lord. And I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry for help before him came into his ears. And then I love this section. What did he do? What did the Lord do? He heard. Now what? Verse 7. The earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place. His canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness of before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered them, and lightning flashes in abundance, and He routed them. And the channels of water appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke. O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, for... He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. Can you picture it? Reaches down and just snatches them out of there. From those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, there's no time to cover the whole psalm. But I do want to show you a response. Go all the way down to verse 46. What do you do after such a thing? You thought you were doomed. God rescued you. Time for a response, right? Verse 46. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. You just now got a song in your head, didn't you? 
The Lord who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks. I will give thanks to you. Among the nations, O Lord, I will sing Praises to your name. He wants everyone to hear it. He gives great deliverance to his king. He shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. So you see a response in David. Now, if only Judah had read that. If only they had pulled up that psalm to see, this is their God. The one with patience, the one with power, the one who cares for them and rescues them. Judah, listen. The good news of the person who comes to proclaim it. His, mount, his feet are on the mountain and it's beautiful news. He's proclaiming peace to you. What does he tell him to do? Go and celebrate your feast, O Judah. Pay your vows. That's a response. They're going to go from prison to rejoicing. From the fast to the feast. It says, come out, rejoice in what the Lord has done. Come out and rejoice. What's our response to such things? Oh, we're not in the book of Nahum. But we were in the book of Colossians, weren't we? When we read of the domain that we lived in, and how he rescued us from that, and how he even transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It started with, give thanks to the Father. Give thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you? Who qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? For he rescued us. He rescued us. Now, in these things I've shared with you tonight, if you can't find any cause to thank him tomorrow, there's something really wrong. We can see him rescue in history, and we could rejoice in that. We could see him rescue in the life of David, and we could rejoice in that. We could see his offer to the folks in Nahum's day that were surrounded by an enemy and his, he tells him, I'm going to rescue you. And we could rejoice in that. But when we read it in Colossians and realize that that was us, <laughs> that he did rescue, we can rejoice in that, can't we? We can rejoice in that. We have his patience. We have his power. We have his goodness. And we have been rescued. We have been rescued. Heavenly Father, you look down upon your children who are very grateful tonight for what you have done. We rejoice in your goodness to us. Your long-suffering, your mercy. We rejoice in the forgiveness and the redemption we have through Jesus Christ. We rejoice that you have given to us eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we rejoice that you took us out of that domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. 
we realize, Lord, if we were to look in the mirror right now, how unworthy we might look. But Lord, you look at us through your Son, and you see those whom, whom you have delight. Wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us. May our hearts be full of joy. This evening, tomorrow, especially as we've set aside a day for this reason, may they may cause for praising you just overwhelm our hearts, spill out through our lips. May we be quick to say among those with whom we spend our time, how much we love our Lord. We give you our thanks tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.